Recording Welcome back Jake. to West is Bros. The Bros of the West. From the West. Out of the West. From out of the West. Rides the hero. His name is West Bros. <clears throat> hey, McClane, what's up? Just kind of hanging out. Um, Just another typical sweet. day in the life of McClane Westbrook. Well, what can sweet, I say? Sweet, uh, Hanging out with, with Teddy. Working at Fred's. Uh, tip, pretty, yep, pretty yep, standard yep, yep. stuff. Pretty standard stuff. Sounds, sounds pretty standard, McLean. What, uh, what about you? Tell you a story. Which, uh, no, actually, I think I'm good. But thanks for the offer. Okay, um, I won't. I'll see right. you around. Okay, never mind then. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, thanks for listening to West Bros. From out of the West, we came to deliver not much today. Bye bye. It's this is a short episode. Incredible. Very short episode. And All right, McLean. So, oh, summer huh? camp, McLean. Oh, summer okay. camp is always a. Summer camp is a, it's not just a place that you go, it's a place in your mind. It's a place of, sure. how do you describe it really? It's uh, man, I don't know. It's like you have you have these images in your head like Christmas time. You have this image of a, of a little house uh, nestled in the snow with the lights twinkling and, and just the pristine setting around. You have that image. You have summer camp. Sure. To me, summer camp, summer camp, you're up, uh, up there by, by some kind of lake. Uh, canoeing there, around. There are usually on, lakes on the lake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I, I'm just a fan of canoeing on a lake, and I did that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I. Oh, I oh, am a, I counsel, I'm a counselor for for summer camp every year, McLean. That's my thing. I do enjoy it. I enjoy it immensely. Nice, it's always nice. a good time. Always a good time. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. Not satisfied with just just the uh, canoeing on the lake experience this Not year. Not good however. enough, Jake says. No, I need more. I joined, I joined the whitewater rafting expedition, McLean, and it was an expedition. It was perilous. It was. uh... Well, I'll start from the beginning. All right, so whitewater rafting up the Mackenzie River. Now, in our boat, on our raft, we had we had a guide, an experienced pro who knew these waters. Uh, It was a woman named Sally. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so we have Sally the guide. We have me in the back, in the back, in the back of the raft. So is me Sally and, was uh, not an old Indian guide. Just no, so I don't think okay. old Indian guides do much white water rafting. Anyway, is I had a bunch thing? of senior guy. I had a, I had uh, senior high schoolers in my raft. Okay, is what I had in the back Trouble row of the Bruin, raft for sure. In the back row of the raft was me and one Colby. Now we were the uh, we were in the back row because we were the power. We were the uh, the, the the strong guys to, to, to push the raft forward because we were the back row. Two big old uh, dudes, a couple of big dudes with big muscle. <laughs> in the middle of the raft, we had the uh, the heavier boys, the large boys, who uh, uh, uh you know they're just large, just for the way in the raft down. Then in the front of the raft, we had our light our our light kids. There was a, a girl and a guy. We had a couple of light guys up on the front of the raft. The light Larrys was, up uh, top, up front. Jack and Ava, I believe, were their names. Yes. Good old Jack. <laughs> good old Ava. Anyway, point is. A couple of tiny, tiny, tiny boys. That's that's the makeup of our raft, all right? That's that's, that's sure. what's going down here. Seven of I'm us in this so raft. Far. Uh, you know, now that I think of it, looking back, they probably should have given us helmets, but they didn't. We had a life jacket, and that was about it. Anyway, um, the way you stay inside of a white rider raft, McLean, uh, you don't want to fall. You, you sort of sit... So the way the raft works is you sort of sit on the edge of the raft so that you're not leaning out to uh, paddle. 
got them on the edge of the rafter. Your feet are underneath this, uh, in the rafters, these little, uh, I don't know what you call them. Uh, there's this little notch you stick your feet into. And that's, that's, that's basically the one thing keeping you from uh, going into the water. Just not, a little foothold. Not very, yeah, little yeah, not, not the most. You and oblivion. Ain't exactly an airline seatbelt. <clears throat> we set off. McLean, if there's one thing you need to know about me, is that I am absolutely terrified of drowning. Lifelong fear. I hate boats. I hate water. Don't like going near it. But I've been trying to put myself in situations over the last few years where I have to face this up close and personal. Um, I recall two years ago, uh, boating out on the lake when I was in a uh, raft behind the boat. And uh, <clears throat> the raft threw me, but uh, for whatever reason, I, I didn't let go of the handle on the raft. And so the boat just ended up kind of dragging me. That wasn't fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that was my last experience. So this time, I'm in this boat, and I'm turning to the other guys, I'm like... I am not falling out of this boat. I I am not falling out of this raft. I am not. I'm not gonna fall out of this raft. I am not falling out of this raft. <laughs> so it sounds like you're setting up. You're setting up a story about how you fell out of the raft. I did not fall out of the raft, but uh, I will tell you that right now. Disappointment. So anyway, yeah. Uh, a few minutes into it, we we hit the first set of rapids, and uh, I have this bad habit. I have this tendency, uh, McLean. Uh, while we were rafting, um, so there's this like strap next to you that you like you grab if it gets really rocky, you know, you know, if it waves sure. really rocky. But you can't yeah, yeah. really grab the raft. You, you can't grab that strap and paddle at the same time because you always have to have your both hands on that paddle. It's one or the other. Yeah. So you, so you hit the rapids, and my tendency, of course, because you know I'm terrified of drowning, and it's, it's just the forefront of my mind. My tendency is to grab that raft handle and not paddle. So I'm kind of doing some of that. Like I'm paddling Jake, when the water's You're supposed to be the big the... boy in the back. I know this you're is supposed to be the weight. Anyway, the anchor. Anyway, at a certain point, we we hit. That comes into the story later, but we hit a. Uh, uh, I guess it was just a rock, sort of. But the raft goes about, eh, not quite. Um, caps like you ever see? You know, you know that scene in Titanic when the boat's going down, and just like it's half. Sure, sure. Like, the back ends up, friends in the water. Well, it was like that. The raft's doing a straight up, like, 90 degree angle or whatever in the water. And, like, I'm, I'm looking at this, the horizon tilting. But the guy in front of me, the guy in front of me falls out. Uh, he did not have his feet secured properly. He falls Didn't out of the in the foothold. You know, not, not, not too big a deal. Um, not too big a deal. Because, you, you know, people fall out of rafts, it happens. You just pull them back in. Uh, the, the thing though was, um, this guy, I won't name him, he, he's been through enough. This he's, guy, he's uh... He's had enough trouble. Yeah, he's a larger dude. He's a larger dude. Hard to pull back in the raft. So, so the two guys up... the, the two people scrawny in the raft, frame, it's even more difficult for him to... Yeah, we have, we have the, we have the two guys in the front of the raft trying to pull him in. So they grab him. And the guy in the back goes, let go, let go, let go! Because this guy would have, like, if he tried to get in from that part of the raft, he would have tipped he the whole thing. We'd all gone in the water. Yeah, that and must so have been a guy, comforting, uh, comforting thing for him to hear. Yeah. Um. So he ends up. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember the order of events. Uh, yeah, I think it was about that point. He got kind of stuck between a large rock and the raft, and he had to sort of push the raft off of himself because he was sort of pinned between the two. 
And it was while he was doing that, and we were trying to pull him in because he was sort of next to us. And the guy was saying we had to pull him in. We were about to come up to another set of rapids. We wanted to get him in before those rapids. Like, you don't, you don't want to be riding those rapids out of the raft. <laughs> I do not we're have a boat, and yet I am still riding the rapids. Hmm. He, he pushes himself off of the uh, the raft, and he kind of gets out from in between those things. We turn around. I turn my head around just in time to see this gigantic fallen tree. It was right across where we were. Our boat wasn't supposed to have gotten this close to shore, but because we were so preoccupied with trying to get him back in, it had. But uh, I ducked just in time. I have to limbo, man. Like, this, this, I almost lost my friggin' head to this thing. <laughs> like, it was, yeah, literally inches away from taking me out. Like, I, we had to just... In the split second, turn around, see the log, limbo underneath that thing. It was intense. Anyway, we get into that and we hit the rapids. We have not gotten this guy back into the boat. And so, the guy's yelling at him, just hang on. Um, was, I don't remember what he said, but basically, keep your, don't, don't try to stand up. Just, just go with the water. Just go with the water. Avoid don't the rocks. Don't die. Yeah. So, uh, he's hitting his head on random branches along the way. It's, it's, uh. And we're just we're just trying to we're just trying to get through the rapids and try to get him into the boat, but like we can't really get into the boat while we're trying to get through the rapids. And it was and it was while going through the rapids that I realized. That, so the problem was right. I then once the boat hit the rocky parts and like we're you know going through the going through the old blender, like that's when I'm instinctively wanting to grab the handle and not row. But it was yeah. in this moment that I that the guy yelling, "Everybody needs to row," and I, and I realized something clicks in my head. I go, "Wait a minute." The fact that I'm not rowing is screwing us up because we can't go in a straight line if I I'm grabbing the this that handle. This person in the water, crazy. No, no, no. That, that, that. Okay, that was. Okay, that was. I am putting cool. everyone, everyone here. I'm putting all of your lives at risk. <laughs> it was kind of that sort of realization. Like I'm not the reason he went into the water, but like it was sort of that realization. Like, wait a minute, my my fear here is sort of negatively impacting the rest of the group. And it was in that moment that like. Like it suddenly, it suddenly clicks, and like I'm no longer My like. have consequences. Yeah, but it's like suddenly it wasn't a thing anymore, and I could just I had no problem with it at all. Like from that moment. Crazy. Like I don't know, it was funny. It's like a switch in your head. Like once you go, oh wait a minute, this is a, uh, there's something here more important than what I'm scared of, and that just turns off. It's, I mean, it was really interesting. I don't know, it was just interesting. It's crazy. I was still repeating the Bible verse in my head the whole time because <clears throat> I was terrified, but, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, no. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it just clicked off. And I, I was thinking about this later, about how, like, I, I don't really have much patience for people who have anxiety attacks or um, panic attacks. Because, like... Dang. I know, I know. It sounds so cold, so harsh. But, like, that's a thing where, like, you have to choose... Like if you you gotta catch that early and choose not not to let that, because like the more you, the more you allow that to happen, the worse it gets the next time. Like ah, that's something you have to like you gotta catch that early, address it, and face it. You can't you can't wallow in oh I just have anxiety, I have panic attacks about blah 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 or such and such. Like that's not you can you can get past that. Like, I don't know why, but just th this day and age, man, the mental health of our nation, like, we're just stuck in this idea that panic, that's just something you have to live with. Oh, I just have anxiety. Like, no, you got to catch that. You got to say, no, what I'm doing is more important than my fear about. Anyway, that's a whole nother rant. Where was I? Uh, right, kids in the morning. We get through the rapids. 
Yeah, we get through the rapids. He's he's still he's uh, yeah, that's right. By this point, we we had uh, managed to get back alongside him. Uh, we're in relatively calm water now. We're like in between two sets of rapids. The guides try to pull him in. The guide falls out as the raft beaches on this beaches. Like we're, we're stuck on this rock, right? And the guy that fallen out trying to pull him back in. The ro uh, the boat was like the raft was like um. <laughs> It was weird. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, it was, it was beached on this rock at this weird angle. Like, everybody was sort of... Anyway, so, yeah, we're beached on this rock at a weird angle. The guy pulls him back in. They both get in, and they're like, okay, we gotta get to the front. Everybody had to, like, move to the front of the raft just to get it off of this stinking rock. It was, like, it was the most, like, intense moment of, oh, my goodness, this thing's flipping over. We're all going in the water. But uh, we managed to, we managed to right the raft. And after that... It's a pretty nice. It was a pretty nice trip, but uh, I'm not gonna lie. I thought we lost that kid, dude. I thought we Good. lost that kid. Okay, it was intense. Hey, glad he's still alive. Um, he ended up being fine. He got a really nasty bruise on his head from uh, from a branch he whacked while uh, a little head rapids, trauma, but, uh, slight concussion, no big deal. Yeah, Walk I mean, from that point on, like, uh, not to like brag on myself, on but I, I am a little proud of myself because from that point on, I was like a pro in that raft. I'm like, hey, this is easy, man. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a nice time. Fun adventure. Okay. Okay. I think the closest I ever got yeah. to that was when I went uh, kayaking. Gage and I went kayaking with Val Cowan. And, uh, Jade Payne was there. Jadome was there. A few other people there. Uh, back in summer of 2017, I believe it was. No, oh, nice, Down nice. the Chetco. Just saying, you, know, you, you ain't lived till you face death on the rapids and come back a stronger oh, man for I faced it. death this weekend too, Jake. I rode the zipper. At, at a uh, at a parking lot carnival. Oh fun! Yeah, I'm. It's like a. I imagine it's like what a rollover car wreck is like. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I feel like it's I've been about, on one of those before, but it's it was been a about, while. Yeah. yeah, mom and dad told me that dad took you on one of those at one point. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. It's terrible, frankly. It's fun when you're at the top and it's not moving and you can look out and see things, but then it moves. There's a few, there's a few rides like that. Like the drop tower one is like that. Oh um, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. gone on that. I've gone on that three different times now. Most recently, just this past weekend too. And honestly, I hate it. <laughs> it's the yeah, anticipation. The You're up there at the top yeah, and you yeah. see the entirety of Pogatello, and like, then of course you're just expected to just shoot down, which it does, inevitably. Give me a good and, old classic Ferris wheel any day. <laughs> And when you're oh, down yeah, that's there, right. Sorry. When you're the falling. other half of my so, I get back from camp, right? I'm tired. I'm beat. Like I just want to go to bed. I'm sitting around my house, like man, I should probably unpack that bag. Knock on the door. It's the police. Yellow. Hey, you know you're being evacuated, right? I'm like, ah, uh, what? So it turns out, a huge, just gigantic fire had got started at the mill that's like a block away from my house. Like if you look out my front door, you can see it, just these gigantic flames. I'm like, well, this is happening great. And so, uh, yeah, I had to evacuate my house. Um, it was an all night thing. They were fighting to contain that fire. Uh, it was like 20 acres of logs that got burned. That's like a lot of, that's a lot of fuel, man. No, two acres of logs, sorry. 20 acres would have been even more. But yeah, no, that thing, that was a, it was a huge fire. You could see it from yeah. all over town. Yeah, and um, I felt really bad because you sent the message, pray the winds don't shift or everything I own is gone. And I, I swear, I swear, dude, I, I, I don't know if I have dyslexia or what, but I just skim read that message and I thought you said, 
pray the winds shift. <laughs> so, so yeah, it sounded so like that, I, I was, I was. No, um, okay. Right, right. Bad joke time. I remember. I was not. I, I, I remember making a bad joke once. You, it was a. Uh, it was when you had burned down Grandpa's house and you were coming back from the yeah. hospital with the yeah. The no, I remember scar. that. Like, and I didn't know how bad it was, so I thought I'd lighten the mood when you walked in. I'm like, you know, was really fell awful about it. So yeah. that was a bad bit. That was, that, was, that was not the time for a bit. Dude, I, I do I stuff. I do stuff like that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, there was. <laughs> okay, so Alexander Humble. We've we've discussed the man before. I've recently reached the conclusion that Alexander Humble is a bit of a touchy-feely guy down down underneath that cold, stony exterior he has. It's not that cold or stony. But the man... Gage and I have said he can be a little... In a good-natured manner, he can be a little melodramatic at times. But he's also, he's also a bit of a sensitive guy. So when I saw him he's play Animal Crossing... Guy. When I saw him playing Animal Crossing and he walks across this meadow that has a bunch of flowers in it and like a like a memorial thingy on, I'm like, oh wow, did someone die in the game? Is that a gravestone? And he's like, yeah, I, I built a, a memorial to my grandma in the game. So I just instantly felt bad. I'm like, oh. <laughs> huh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That is, I, I, I end up making jokes like that a lot and instantly feel bad about them. Not a lot, but yeah. it happens. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the only time I've ever, a video game has ever made me feel something was in Red Dead Redemption 2, where Arthur dies, and, and then John goes and visits his grave later in the game, and I'm like, oh. Touching. Why does everyone spoil video games for me? Granted, I do, I do take... Well, I guess I've never actually finished a video. Arthur was a better character than John Murray. I'm just gonna say it. He's a better character. I want to hang out with Arthur all the time. He just okay. looks cooler. I'm just saying. Okay. John John Marston looks like a, a an unwashed hobo. Arthur looks like a classic American cowboy. I'm just saying. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. I'm just saying. Anyway, that brings me to another subject, McLean. A philosophical uh, quandary I've been in for a while now. I've been, I've been thinking oh. about this for a while. McLean, I really like the idea of traveling, you know, going places, mm -hmm. seeing things, having adventures. I love that. Like, I want to do that. The problem is, I don't like the idea of being a tourist. I hate that. I do not like the idea of going somewhere just to go somewhere, take pictures, be the guy who's... I don't know. It's like, if I want to go somewhere, I want to bring something to it. I, mean, I got to have a reason. Like, you read old accounts of expeditions and adventures and people going out to do things it's like they have a goal you know they're going out to explore a new land or like they're going out to do something you know what i mean and now where would you so draw that line thinking. between tourist and expeditioner yeah there's it's a, it's a subtle difference but it's like like you have to be going there has to be a reason that you're going a purpose bringing something to where you're going so that's where i'm thinking man you know that's where it's like like mission work you know that seems to sort of encapsulate that idea if i could find like a, a missionary thing where like like i can just like work on a boat or something like i could just join somebody else's mission team and just do like manual labor hmm. like that's where i'm like yeah that's what that's what i want to do and it's like well then you look at the motivations am i just doing that because i want an excuse to go i don't know so that's what i've been batting back and forth in my head but man if i if i 
I'm in my 20s. This is the age to go join an expedition to the North Pole, you know? This is the age to do that. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's interesting, especially when I think about my my goals of uh, exploring Alaska. As I unfold my Alaska State Road map here. Look, I'd love to go explore Alaska, but I have to have a reason. I have to have something to do. There's got to be a reason I'm going there. Like, if I'm delivering supplies to some little village, like, you know what I mean. You know milk costs $10 a gallon in northern parts of Alaska because they got to fly it in. And it's got to be ultra-pasteurized so it doesn't go bad. <laughs> Them cows freeze to death up oh, there. Oh, hey, Mom. What about... I should have known it was you. Okay. Shush! Ask Mother what her opinion on raw milk is. I'm curious. Uh, Jake wants to know what your opinion on raw milk is. Mom shrugged her shoulders and said, it's okay. I mean, health-wise. If you really want, if you really want, you know, actual natural milk, make sure it's not homogenized. It comes in a big jar with a... Oh yeah, Mother, don't you know, I I, I I bought a share of the farm just to get the milk no, straight from the Mom cow. Mom is well aware of, of you buying a share in a farm. She rolled except, her eyes. <laughs> except for except for what I don't get is he tells you and then he doesn't tell dad or me anything. Um I think I think uh Jake figured dad would call him silly for buying a share in a cow. That is silly, but I just read it in the general sense. Buy the what? You need to go to bed. Oh I was gonna say though real quick that I think we could have not bothered. What's uh, what's going on over there? I'm not really sure. There seems to be some sort of a, a town hall meeting in my room. Because you're oh, so wow. darn loud, you're keeping that away. Shush. We could fix it out later. You should know better. Harsh. I just stabbed myself with a thumbtack, by the way. So that's 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 uh, smarting a bit. Ooh, that one deep. I hate to hear that. Anyway, back to Alaska. Um. So, what would you consider? I'd love to go back to Alaska. Having a having a purpose. Well, is this more of an external thing, or...? It's an existential like, it crisis. Seems like I don't... It seems like you're more focused on affecting other people rather than yourself. Ah, kinda, yeah, that's the idea. Like, it just doesn't seem like a real manly thing to be like, I wanna go see a thing, so I'll take a trip and go see a thing and take a picture of the thing and then I come back. Like, like the real adventurous spirit is like, you're going there to accomplish something, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah, but... Do you think that it seems a little uh, foolhardy, perhaps egotistical of yourself, to think that uh, the goal should be for you to go give them something? Or per I don't know. Um, I think it's egotistical to go somewhere just for yourself. Like, I just want to see a thing, so I went and saw a thing, and then I left. Uh, it's odd to like, me, you know? Let's I'm say not I saying I'm going to go change somebody's... Look, I'm not saying I'm going to go change somebody's life, but I at least want to bring something, you know what I mean? Okay, um... Like, you want to have something to do, something to fulfill, something to accomplish. Like, there needs to be a goal involved here. So you're you're into the hero stuff? No, 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 <laughs> no. Stop it, McClane. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Even if it's um, something stupidly simple, like I'm just doing a little manual labor. Like, I'm just going up here to go move some stuff around and build a thing. You know what I mean? Do you think like, that's kind of like how... It doesn't have um, to be complicated. Do you think that's kind of like how I'm thinking about it's going to go... Do you think that's like how I um, am thinking summer about going to McLean. go fish Dungeness I, Crab I finally, next summer? Or? I don't know. I finally understand the appeal of joining the army for a lot of guys. Because it's sort of that thing. Like, you want to you wanna go do things and, and, like, have experiences. And, like, you also 
got this group of guys to hang out with, but also, like, it's not this uh, self-fulfilling thing. You're part of something bigger. You know what I mean? Like, I... Mm. I guess I'm having a midlife crisis in my 20s, McLean, and it's not cool. That's what they call a quarter-life crisis, my friend. Yeah. All I'm saying. I, I know what you mean. And I've, uh, I've kind of thought about that myself, too. I'm gonna go right up the Amazon. What kind of boat? Especially considering the type of uh, work or uh, college education that I'm getting into. I'm like, this seems like I'm just doing it for myself rather than giving something to other people. Because, like, with Gage going to college, is a scam these days, McLean. Every American, everybody's American male should sign up for. I don't know. They should do something. I don't know. College just seems so boringless these days. Such a waste of time. Like, who, who are you? What do you do? That reminds me of an. an uh, wait, no, I'm just gonna read this article. Uh, yeah, I figured you the, would. Yeah, I know. This is, like, part of the reason why I was thinking about this. Because I was reading this I'm and just sort of thinking about. Out. Yeah, I know. Oh no! Planes already tweeting that, but it's uh, from Art of Maryland. That's my favorite website. Uh, oh, by the way, I linked you that. I was I linked you the article they did about Men Without Chess by C.S. Lewis, and then just today they put out a podcast about it. I'm like, well, that's interesting timing. Intriguing. Anyway, this article is called "The I, Least at Interesting first I thought, Generation." At first, at first, I thought that article was just going to be about men who don't don't have like pecs and i thought it was going to be targeting me for my uh my low pitch yeah mclean i was calling you a small boy you were yeah. making fun of my weak bench mclean you do have a weak bench what is your bench i do not know honestly how do you not That's know what your bench is, is? mclean come on what is it come on i mean i don't know uh, i could bench 180. uh-huh sure you can all right well anyway before Steve McQueen's 18th birthday, he had worked on a farm, joined the circus. Excuse me, sorry. That orange vanilla Coke Zero is coming back on me. So this is about me going to fish Dungeness Crab next summer in Depot Bay. Yeah, maybe. Um, where was I? Yeah, so Steve McQueen had worked on a farm, joined the circus, sold pins at a traveling carnival, hitchhiked and rode the rails across the country, worked as a lumberjack in Canada, labored on a chain gang in the Deep South, served a short and illegal stint in the Merchant Marines, and joined the Marine Corps for a three-year enlistment. After getting out of the service, the newly minted veteran moved to New York, where, as reported in his autobiography, he handcrafted sandals, lugged radiators out of condemned buildings, loaded bags on the post office, ran errands for a local bookie, recapped tires in a garage, sold encyclopedias door-to-door, made artificial flowers, sold pottery in a large department store, and repaired television sets. Before he finally found success as an actor, McQueen would also drive and repair taxi cabs, sling drinks as a bartender, and try his hand at laying tile. While the sheer breadth and adventurousness of Steve McQueen's resume was unique, having an interesting and varied background was actually quite common amongst actors of his generation. Before making it in the movie, Sean Connery served in the Royal Navy from ages 16 to 19 and worked as a milkman, lifeguard, truck driver, laborer, and artist model. He competed in bodybuilding competitions and once used his strength to take on a group of cutthroat gang members who'd been harassing him. Though it was a 6-1 fight, he held his own and he earned the gang's respect. As a 16-year-old, James Garner did a stint in the Merchant Marines at the end of World War II, joined the Army National Guard, served 14 months in Korea as a rifleman, and earned two Purple Hearts before twice being wounded. Even Paul Newman, who was a little prettier than his contemporaries, served as a turret gunner and a torpedo bomber during the Second World War. All great actors. 
By the age of 22, Jack London had worked in a cannery, electrical plant, monitor facility, taught himself to sail, evaded the law as an oyster pirate, tramped around the country by rail, traveled the Pacific aboard a seal hunting schooner, and ventured into the Klondike in search of gold. Before That's Ralph Ellison turned 25, he became a professional trumpet player, lived at the YMCA, worked as a shoeshine boy, waiter, shoreloader, cook, drugstore clerk, paperboy, janitor, baker, receptionist for his psychiatrist, dentist assistant, tailor's assistant, sculptor's assistant, and laboratory assistant at a paint company. When he was accepted to the Tuskegee Institute, he couldn't afford the train ticket to get there, so he hoboed his way over on a freight line, ever on the lookout for the guards who searched for trespasses and often did violence to those they found. Ernest Hemingway led fishing, hunting, and bushcraft skills as a toddler, worked on a farm at 15, took a weeks-long backpack trip at 16, subsisting on fish he caught himself, and served as an ambulance driver in World War I at age 18. As an aid worker, he earned the Italian Silver Medal for Valor for carrying a wounded soldier to safety while being hit with gun and mortar fire twice himself. Many of these men not only undertook adventurous exploits in their youth, but continued pursuing diverse risk-taking explorations and hobbies after they had breakthrough success later on. And though we know about their compelling backgrounds because they created culturally significant work and thus had their life stories recorded, it's not the case that having an, an interesting resume was limited to the creative class or to the successful. Pick up a biography of a 20th century business executive or military commander or any, even the journal or personal memoir of your own grandfather or great-grandfather, and you'll find that most have similarly varied and evocative experiences. They hunted, worked a farm or ranch, tried some manual labor jobs, went to sea, fought in one world war or the other, and so on. Today, the situation is much the reverse. It's very rare to have it's very rare to find an individual, whether they're hugely successful or just an average Joe, who has even a modestly interesting background, much less a McQueen-esque one. The bio of a modern writer reads about something like this. So-and-so grew up in the suburbs of Blank City. He went to Blank Liberal Arts College and got a degree in English, and then he wrote a book. It's instructive to compare the length of the early life-slash-pre-career sections of the Wikipedia pages of writers, actors, and musicians who came to prominence in the early to mid-20th century with those who did likewise in the late 20th and 21st. The latter tend to be dramatically shorter. Hmm. The average non-Wikipediaized man has a similar life story, minus public acclaim. Grew up in the suburbs, worked making sandwiches, waiting tables, and answering phones at the call center. Went to college, took an office job at some corporation, moved back to the suburbs. It's a background that can be summarized in a few, not very compelling words. The purpose of making this observation isn't to cast aspersions on members of the modern generation for their comparative boringness, and it's not largely our fault, for reasons both easier and more difficult to explain. The world's changed over the last 50 years in ways that make it harder to have the kind of varied adventurous experiences that men who came of age a century ago regularly did. While it's still technically possible to find farm or manual labor jobs, and even to illegally ride the rails or hitchhike across the country, guys who grew up in the suburbs typically don't have the skills, know-how, or the confidence to try their hands at those kinds of pursuits. They don't know who to ask or where to go to even explore the possibility. That's the true. expectations of family members and peers have changed as well. The normal accepted thing for a young adult man to do is to play it safe, stick around town, and take a job as a barista. Uh, Hemingway's parents didn't think anything like of the a, teenage a direct attack on myself, but alright, thanks. Hemingway's parents didn't think anything of their teenage son heading out in the woods to live off the land. Even the modern parents allowed their kid to do likewise. Neighbors would probably call the Department of Children and Family Children of Family Services to investigate a case of neglect if they did. The most transformative change in cultural expectations centers on higher education. 
With the exception of Paul Newman, none of the men mentioned above were graduated from college. Some of them dropped out of high school. Today, every young adult is expected to attend and finish college, and any detours that might sidetrack this or diminish your resume is greatly discouraged. That just reminds me of the, I can't have a baby, I'm going to college. How dare you expect me to not get an abortion? In an even more concrete way, the rise of digital technology has sapped even those outlets for interesting endeavors which do remain in much of what Jack London called the spirit of romance and adventure. Even 20 years ago, you could backpack across Europe and be entirely unreachable for long stretches of time. Want to give me a message? Call me at a hotel in Budapest in three weeks. There's almost nowhere you can go now where you cannot be found. And this degree of interconnection not only makes the adventures feel less romantic, but robs them of their transformative power. While problems encountered along one's travels used to have to be navigated with some nervous self-reliance, uncertain improvisation, and mustard-up gumption, they can now opt to be resolved instantly and seamlessly with a few taps on your smartphone. And then there's the most concrete reason that courage requiring eventful experiences are harder to come by these days. There hasn't been a world war in 75 plus years. Today's young men are not being called up to serve as a turret gunner or a rifleman or a counterintelligence agent, but instead grow up in a time of pervasive peace and plenty. That reminds me, Hacksaw Ridge is a really good movie. It is. So, in observing the comparative dullness of the modern generation's life stories, the intent's not to be accusative, but descriptive. To explain some cultural phenomena and feelings I may have been experienced, but unable to trace or articulate. For one thing, it helps to put a finger on the sense of real, if hard to admit, deprecation and longing that many of us millennials experience. We may not feel that the criticism over things like spending too much on avocado toast and lattes is justified, but in quiet moments alone, we do feel a sense of something in our cohort is lacking. That feeling of lack is arguably rooted in deficiency and seasoning, the kind that comes from breadth and depth of life experience and which communicates confidence and gravitas to others and yourself. It's a lack that's rooted in the sense that there's an itch amongst us that hasn't entirely been scratched. It also explains why neither modern artists nor their work feel as compelling when compared to their predecessors. There are modern actors who have the good looks and charm of Steve McQueen. There's still some discernible it missing in their makeup, though. And that it is a personal history that includes an expansive, field-tested participation in life. With past actors, the fact that they've seen some stuff and done some stuff inevitably colored their personalities and their performances. Their acting had an incomparable and ultimately iconic swagger because it drew on their range of first-hand experiences. While the cool quotient that modern actors in Vice invents seems to stop at the service, the coolness of an older era actor seems to run to a greater depth. Similarly, while there may be great, well-written new novels published these days, none of them really feel like classics. They don't seem like they're going to endure in the cultural canon the way Jack London has. While there may be multiple debatable reasons why this is, surely one of the reasons is because the literature of the past drew more heavily on the concreteness of lived experience. If books from the 20th century feel weightier, it's because their authors were able to imbue their works with the pulse of real blood, sweat, and tears. Though these writers lack university degrees, their words carry a special resonance, for they have seen death and fear up close, wrestle with nature, and make contact with multiple layers of the human condition. Modern literature, in contrast, draws more from the world of abstraction, more from what the authors imagined the keenest dramas of the human experience would be like. In making these observations and explaining these feelings, the message is not that modern men have no hope of living an interesting life. While much of the spirit of romance and adventure has passed from the earth, there's still travels to undertake, physical challenges to pursue, and worthy landscapes to explore. 
The message is not don't try. How big of a difference there is between the man who does all he can do to keep pushing himself and seeking new vistas, and he who completely surrenders himself to an ordinary, boring existence. It's simply good to understand why it is that when one surveys the media of modern culture, or interacts with others, or assesses one's own state, one often gets a peculiar sense of emptiness. It's good to understand why it is that when one goes looking in such spaces and places, one so frequently comes away with a feeling of disappointment. The sinking realization that, alas, there's nothing there there. So anyway, yeah, I think a Yukon trip would be a good idea, I'm just saying. I think... I think it is, Jake, and um, I know you're planning to go to Europe next summer, but... Yeah, that's another thing. I, I, I don't know what I'm... Eh. That's something I'm tossing around in my head. Like, I want to go there, but I, I don't know. Alaska is oh, calling, brother. I guess that's true. Again, we'd have to find something to... We'd have, we need to find that reason to go. Yeah, I'm applying... Look up... You know what? I'm gonna... Do a little googling real quick, cause I'll bet that's a thing. Hold on a second. Bet what's a thing? What? Bet what's a thing? I haven't really thought about looking this up before. Oh, I guess it's eleven at the moment. But like, uh, you know, missions, missions teams. I feel like you could sign up for something like that. Like, I know there's. Ah, uh, so here's the thing. I know a guy. I need to get in touch with him, because I gotta ask him about this. I know a guy, his name's Aaron, uh, I went to Mexico with him, but uh, he, he, he organizes missions trips, and he was talking about, before COVID happened, he was talking about organizing a boat trip up the Amazon, and I want to do that so bad. I so badly want to do that, I man. I remember in a previous West Bros episode, we discussed a very similar idea with I the, gotta get in contact with that guy. And I believe we ended it saying that, uh, talking about going to the Yukon. Yeah, I gotta get in contact with that guy. Yeah. Anyway, McLean, what uh, insights do you have? Ah, uh, what insights do I have? Mm -hmm. I hear you're wrestling something around there. What is that? That's my Alaska state map. Still looking at it. How old is that? From this year. Like from oh, this come on. It's up to date, is what I mean. Well, I needed an up-to-date map uh -huh. if I was going to go there, obviously. Of course, the we'd like to hear the story about the man... The McClane, would you like to hear the story of Ferdinand Waldo de Mera? Um... No, I'm probably good. Thanks for offering. No, locally as Fred, huh? Huh? he was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts in 1921. His father was born in Rhode Island, worked in the old theater district as a motion picture operator. Uh, his dad was financially well off. The family lived on Jackson Street in Lawrence, an upper class neighborhood. His brother, blah, 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 basically, uh, Fred's father, oh, in the Great Depression, Fred's father became financially insolvent, forcing the city to move to the poorest section in town. During this financially troubled time, Ferdinand DeMera Jr. ran away from home at age 16 to join the Sisterius. Cistercian monks in Rhode Island, where he stayed for several years, and he joined the army in 1941. The following year, Demera began a new life by borrowing the name of Anthony Ignolia, an army buddy, and going AWOL. After two more attempts in monasteries, he joined the navy where he was trained as a hospital corpsman. He did not reach the position he wanted, he faked his suicide, and borrowed another name, Robert Linton French, and became a religious psychologist. He became a religion-oriented psychologist. He taught psychology again in college in Pennsylvania. Afterwards, he served as an orderly in L.A. sanitarium and served as an instructor in St. Martin's College in the state of Washington. 
The FBI captured him, and he served 18 months at the Naval Disciplinary Barracks for desertion. After his release, he assumed another fake identity and studied law at night at Northeastern University, and then joined the Brothers of Christian Instruction in Maine, a Roman Catholic order. While at the Brothers of Christian Instruction, he became acquainted with a young Canadian doctor named Joseph C. Sire. This led to his most famous exploit, in which he masqueraded as Sire, working as a trauma surgeon aboard the HMCS Cayuga, a Royal Canadian destroyer during the Korean War. He improvised successful major surgeries, and fend off... He also fended off infection with generous amounts of penicillin. His most notable practices were performed on 16 Korean combat casualties. All eyes turned to him, the only, quote, surgeon on board, as it became obvious that several of the casualties would require major surgery or certainly die. Uh, after ordering personnel to transport these variously injured patients into the ship's operating room, Demira would disappear to his room, quickly look up a textbook on general surgery, and speed read the various surgeries he would have to perform, including major chest surgeries. None of the casualties died as a result of his attempts. That's hard to believe. Apparently, <laughs> the removal of a bullet from a wounded man ended up in Canadian newspapers. One person reading the reports was the mother of the real Joseph Sire, her son at the time of his service in Korea was actually practicing medicine in New Brunswick. So with news of the imposter reached the Cayuga, still on duty off Korea, Captain James Plomer at first refused to believe that the successful Demure was not a doctor and not Joseph Sire. However, faced with the embarrassment of having allowed an imposter into the Navy's ranks, Canadian officials chose not to press charges. <laughs> Instead, he was quietly dismissed from the Canadian Navy and returned to the United States. Yeah. Demir told his biographer he was successful in all of his impersonations because he was able to fit into positions which no one else had previously occupied. He had come to true beliefs. One was that in any organization there's always a lot of loose, unused power lying around which can be picked up without alienating anyone. The second rule is, if you want power and want to expand, never encroach in anyone else's domain. Just open up new ones. He referred to it as expanding a power vacuum and described it as, if you come into a new situation, don't join someone else's committee and try to make your mark by moving up. You'll have you'll have a long haul and make an enemy. Find your own committee. There's no competition, no bad standards. During uh, his impersonation as a monk, he decided to make the religious teaching order more prominent by founding a college in Maine. He proceeded on his own and got the college chartered as a state. He then left in 1951, when the uh, institute offended him by not naming him as chancellor of the college, and chose what he thought was a terrible name for the college. Um, now it's Walsh University. Uh, anyway, this is just a weird guy, man. Um, yeah, he just did all these weird impersonations of people just going around, pretending to, let's see here. Uh, he somehow managed to goof his way into becoming a pastor at a church in Oregon. He was very well liked, but then plagued with rumors about his old life, causing him to resign the position. Many parishioners thought it was another con, although many others felt he was legitimate. He then served as pastor of Tuttle Lake Community Bible Church in Washington for several years. Uh, he's been on several TV shows. He had a close friendship with Steve McQueen, to whom he delivered last rites in November 1980. Hmm. Um... Steve McQueen did die on yeah. my birthday. Anyway, they made a movie out of him starring Tony Curtis called The Great Impersonator. I feel um, like I've heard of that, but I don't know. Yeah. And it died of heart failure in 1982. Really, in California. Anyway, I just find that really that guy really interesting. Um, yeah, he's just uh, he was just a goof going around goofing. 
<laughs> having fun. Just a silly Didn't kill guy. anyone. Just a just a just a neat little guy. I don't know. Uh -huh. Anyway, I think that's about all I have for today. Uh, yeah, that's really it. Really is it. Also, Theodore Roosevelt, great president, great guy. Um, I should read more about Theodore Roosevelt on this podcast, especially his trip up the Amazon, because that is a fascinating story. I'm sure. Uh, it is indeed. There's a lot of uh, towns along the Yukon River that are only accept accessible either by the river or through airports. Sounds like a town that might need supplies delivered. Exactly. Plane. Put a little gas in the biplane. I'll uh, meet you outside with the equipment. Load them up and move out, alright? Sounds good, sounds good. Alright, let's move on out. I'm uh, going north. Clouds to free. 